When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you on today's episode. In part one, I'll very quickly give you my thoughts on our win over Empoli on Saturday. And in part two, I will be joined by a guest to preview our match on Friday against Lazio. So let's get started with that match against Empoli, which we won 2-0. We opened the scoring with an Empoli own goal in the 17th minute, and Victor Osimhen doubled our lead in the 28th minute. Like against Eintracht Frankfurt, we could have and probably should have scored more goals. Once again, Osimhen could have scored a hat-trick had he converted the chances that fell to him. Nevertheless, Victor extended his Serie A goal-scoring streak to 8 consecutive matches, which means he's only 3 goals away from tying the record and 4 goals away from breaking it. I posted an infographic on this because if you look at the three current record holders, Gabriel Batistuta, Fabio Cagliarella, and Cristiano Ronaldo, they all scored penalty kicks during their runs. Of course, Osimhen doesn't take the penalty kicks, so all of his goals have been scored from open play. If you were to ask Batistuta, he'd still tell you that he is the sole record holder as both Cagliarella and Ronaldo did not play a match during their respective runs. It certainly won't be easy for Victor, though. Napoli's next four matches are against Lazio, Atalanta, Torino away, and Milan. And the Torino and Milan matches are on either side of the return leg against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Champions League, so he's not likely to play the full 90 minutes in either of those matches. But who knows, the guy's been nearly unplayable, and as I said, he should probably have scored even more goals than the 10 that he has scored over this 8-match run. 
I'll come back to that in a moment, but I want to talk about the goals first because they both came from corner kicks. We don't typically score from set pieces, so this just added to the number of different ways that Napoli can beat their opponents. One thing you might have noticed lately is that Cavada is setting himself up at the edge of the area, despite being pretty good in the air. That's clearly something they've been working on in training, and again, it shows the brilliance of Luciano Spalletti. He recognized that typically when the opponent clears a corner kick, they clear the ball to the edge of the area, so he put Cavada there to win the second ball. Of course, he can't put Osiman there because he needs Osiman in the area to try to win the first ball. And sure enough, our first three corner kicks were all cleared straight to Cavada in that spot. He tried to go for goal in the first two, and both shots finished well off target, so he adjusted for the third, which again showed the intelligence of this young player. He recognized that going for goal in these situations just wasn't working out, so instead, he played that high lob to the second post for Zielinski to run onto. Zielinski was one of the two players standing over the ball for the corner kick, so Cavada had to play that pass with the right weight to give Zilu time to get to the ball. And then, of course, Ardian Ismaili cleared the ball into his own goal. That is a very difficult spot for a defender to be in. He had to get a touch on the ball because if he didn't, then Osiman was waiting behind him to tap it into the empty goal. The second goal came from a corner kick as well, except on that occasion we played a short corner routine. It was well disguised though because Mario Rui and Zielinski both stood over the ball as they had done on the other corner kicks, and Cavada was perched at the top of the box as he had done on the other corners. I thought Cavada did really well on this play. Mario Rui's pass was a little bit heavy and slightly behind the Georgian, but with one touch, he controlled the ball and set himself up perfectly for the shot. I can only assume that Guglielmo Vicario saw the ball late as it was traveling through a crowd, hence why he wasn't able to parry that ball towards the touchline. And then of course, Osimen was waiting on the doorstep to score on the rebound. It's no coincidence that he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Like Napoli, he personally has shown that he can score in a variety of ways, whether it's in the air, with his blistering pace, with a moment of brilliance, or like he did on this occasion and a few others this season, with a Pippo Inzaghi-style poacher's goal. We very nearly scored a third goal from a corner kick as well, but Kim Min-jae's header-slash-shoulder hit the bar and stayed out. We actually won 7 out of our 9 corner kicks in the first half alone. I suspect we would have earned a few more had we not played the final 22-23 minutes with only 10 men. Now, I mentioned that Osiman could have scored more, but he did not for two reasons. First, he did actually score another goal with another pretty ridiculous finish with his thigh, but that one was chalked off for offside. Lobotka made a great play there. He dribbled about 15 yards from midfield towards his own goal before turning back and launching a perfect long ball to Osimen. A quick comment on this because I saw a few people complaining on social media that Victor needs to learn to stay onside. I think that is a very harsh take for a few reasons. First, Osimen actually has fantastic timing. Yes, he may have had a few goals ruled out for offside, but I guarantee you he scored many more goals when he timed his run correctly. Second, sometimes a player times his run correctly, but at the same time the defensive line pushes up, effectively playing an offside trap to use a North American term, and when a forward makes his run and the line pushes up, he can't suddenly stop his momentum on a dime. He may try to divert his run to stay on, 
but in some cases, he's just going to get caught offside. That is normal for a striker. And third, sometimes a player is caught offside not because he went too soon, but because the passer took too long to release the pass. If the passer waits too long to play the ball, then the forward can get caught as well. The two players need to be on the same page. Perhaps this offside is actually a fourth reason, which is that it's even harder to get the timing right on a long ball. Lobotka passed that ball about 40 yards forward, and Osimhen was only about a yard offside, which is actually a very fine margin. The second reason Osimhen didn't score more was simply Guglielmo Vicario in goal for Empoli. He was actually one of my three keys to the match, and once again, he was outstanding in goal for Empoli. In my preview, I talked about how Empoli's expected goals allowed far exceeded their actual goals allowed, and I attributed that largely to Vicario. That improved even further after this match because Napoli's XG was 2.5, and of course we only scored twice, so Empoli have now conceded nearly 8 fewer goals than they probably should have this season. At this point, I think Vicario is probably going to win the Serie A goalkeeper of the season award. He made two big saves, 1v1 on Osimhen, one in the 34th minute where he got a foot on the shot, and the other in the 82nd minute after Zielinski dinked the ball into the area for Victor. He also made a decent save on Giovanni Simeone after he replaced Osimhen late in the match, much later than I would have liked, I might add. This has been my one criticism of Spalletti this season, and I've already talked about this, so I won't spend too much time on it, but I feel like he's still waiting too long to make his substitutions. I suppose on this occasion, it was because Mario Rui got the red card, so Spalletti removed both of his wingers, he brought on Oliveira to play at left back, and he brought on Elmas to complete a switch to a 4-4-1 formation, with Victor as the focal point to chase the long balls, but again... He didn't change Osimhen until the 84th minute. I know no one has the pace that Osimhen does, but I'm sure a fresh Simeone could have still chased down some of those long balls. Spalletti's final changes didn't come until the 93rd minute when Gianluca Gaetano and Tanguy Ndombele came on, and those were really just the classic Italian time-wasting substitutions. Now, we have to address the Mario Rui red card. In the age of the VAR, you simply cannot do that. In the old days, when there was no VAR, he probably would have gotten away with that because Giovanni Airoldi did not see that kickout in live play, but VAR caught it and Mario Rui was rightly sent off. I thought Payman Dadgar had an interesting take on this on Twitter. He said, Mario Rui represents the team under Sadi that always failed because of this emotional mentality. I am glad he will sit at least three games out. What he did was unacceptable. I agree it was unacceptable and that Mario Rui should not have done it, but I'm not so sure I agree with the rest. One of the things we love about Mario Rui is his passion, his emotion. When things are getting a little scrappy or when the opponent is targeting one of our star players like Cavada, he's the guy you want on the pitch because of that emotion. I'm certainly not happy that he will sit for what turned out to be two matches, not three, Payment tweeted that before we got the ruling from the sports judge. Fortunately, we have Oliveira, so we won't lose anything in terms of quality at left back, but regardless of how you feel about Mario Rui's previous seasons, we cannot deny how good Mario Rui has been for us this season, and one stupid decision does not erase all of that, for me at least. Remarkably, it was the first time all season in any competition that we had a player sent off, 
we were one of only three clubs without a second yellow or a straight red heading into this round. Torino and Roma were the other two. We also have the fewest yellow cards in the league by some margin as well. We have 32 yellow cards on the season and the second fewest is Juventus with 41 yellow cards. So it was the first opportunity we got to see Napoli play with 10 men and yet again this team made us proud. Even down a man we continue to press high, we continue to force turnovers and we continue to create chances. Those two late chances I mentioned from Osimen and then from Simeone were both created with only 10 men on the pitch. Now granted, we weren't playing against a top club, but Empoli are certainly no slouches. Most importantly, we did not concede a goal after going down a man. Frankly, Empoli didn't even come close to scoring in this match. They had a few speculative efforts from distance. Their best chance was probably the shot in the first minute of the second half where Rachmani made a really important block on Roberto Piccoli, that play started with Mario Rui failing to shepherd the ball out for a Napoli throw-in and then getting beat by Martin Satriano, so Mario Rui did not have his best match. But that was about it as far as Empoli's attack goes. They had only two shots on target and an XG of 0.6 for this match. It was our sixth clean sheet in our last seven matches in all competitions, five out of six in the league. I wrote this in my four takeaways piece, but in those six league matches... Our opponents have averaged only 37% ball possession, 2.2 shots on target, and an XG of 0.5. Now as much as I've praised Alex Meret this season, I think those stats suggest that these clean sheets are a credit to the play of the entire team, not just the play of the goalkeeper. Again, we haven't exactly played against the toughest competition lately. The one team that scored on us was Roma, and the other five who didn't were Empoli, Sassuolo, Cremonese, Spezia, and Salernitana. Okay, the last comment I have on this match is to give another shout-out to Chucky Lozano, who I thought had another fantastic match. He's been playing well consistently for the last five or six matches. I think it's quite clear that, at least for the time being, he is now the starting right winger. Friend of the pod, Dom the Barber, who's the biggest Lozano fan that I know, was quick to point out that Lozano is part of the life-size cutouts of Napoli's starting 11 that popped up in the Quartieri Spagnoli. There's a banner on the wall next to those cutouts that says ET Fosi del Vico Canale, the fans of Vico Canale, so I assume that they're the ones who erected those cutouts. But I thought he had another very good game. He's contributing on both ends of the pitch. He created a couple of chances with his high press, including the Osimen one that Vicario stopped in the first half. He had a good chance of his own in the second half where Anguisa rolled the ball back to Lozano and his shot curled just wide of the far post. That chance was also created by Lozano pressing high and forcing a turnover. And he also linked up well with Di Lorenzo in the 55th minute, which then led to another shot from Osimen, but Sebastiano Luperto made an important block on that occasion. So great stuff from Lozano. Great stuff from the team all around. We are now 18 points clear of our nearest competitors, the two clubs from Milano, after Inter's loss to Bologna. For those of you who are keeping track, that means the magic number is currently 9. With 8 wins and a draw, we mathematically cannot be caught. Okay, that will do for part 1. 
In part 2, a guest will join me to preview our match on Friday against Lazio. I'll caution you here that there is a bit of background noise when I am on the mic. My son had just come home from school and was kicking the ball around. He's at an age now where he commentates on himself while he's playing, and I just didn't have the heart to tell him to quiet down so that he can record a podcast. But on a positive note, he seemed to have scored quite a few goals. Okay, part 2 is next. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fort Sinopoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the show and at our website at fortsinopolypress.com. All right, so next we are going to preview our match on Friday against Lazio. For some reason, I thought this match was on Sunday, which is why I think I mentioned on our last episode that we had an eight-day break between Empoli and Lazio. But no, it's on Friday, and I guess the reason for that is because Lazio kick off their Europa League round of 16 tie against Azed Alkmaar on Tuesday. But I am joined by a guest to help me with this preview He is a freelance sports journalist who's written for a number of different publications. He's also one half of the Lazio Lounge podcast alongside Vittorio Campanile. Alistair McKenzie, welcome to Forza Napoli. Hello. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I'm happy to be with you before the game and not after the game. That's very generous of you. I don't think this is going to be one that we're going to want to remember for very long. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about you know the history of this fixture a little bit later in the in part two. But uh, you and Vittorio were certainly pretty grim, and <laughs> in the end of your last episode, uh, talking about that. Yeah. So, but I want to start with Lazio's season up until this point. Uh, you're currently fourth in the table on 45 points, only two points behind Inter and Milan but only one point clear of City rivals Roma and three points clear of Atalanta. So it's very bunched up for those Champions League positions. I'll start with a simple question that probably doesn't have a simple answer, but how are you feeling about Lazio's season so far? Uh, Generally positive. Obviously, there's a huge elephant in the room when you're mentioning the league standings there, which is that Juventus have been docked 15 points, and that's... I mean, you know, with or without that, it would still be a very close Champions League race and Lazio would still be in that race. But but yeah, to be honest, to be in fourth place at this stage of the season, still be in, in the knockout rounds in Europe, albeit not in the competition we started in. I think that's a pretty good return for this point. The reason you probably hear a bit of hesitation in my voice is is really because we're yet to feel like the team has properly clicked under Sari. There have been moments, there have been some fantastic performances, actually many of which have come in the biggest games. But the search for consistency that the club has been looking for for years and years and years still goes on. And the kind of summer signings, rough summer signings that came in, some have been great, some not so much. So yeah, it's 
it's been ups and downs, but the objective is top four, and that's currently where Lazio are. So it can't be can't be all too depressed about things. Just not nearly on the same level that Napoli are operating at. So I think you take the two things in isolation slightly, which is that in the grand scheme of things, Lazio are having a decent season, but I still think they have absolutely no chance whatsoever of winning in Naples on Friday. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll come to that but uh, you know I guess you can look at it two ways and you kind of captured it well like the positive is that you're in the top four six points better than you were last season at this point in the schedule last season you were on 39 points at the same time I do sense that frustration that things perhaps could be better maybe you could have been in a better position to clinch that Champions League berth for next season just based on the play of everyone so far this season. I mean, last season was interesting, and, and we were talking about this a little bit offline before we started, but the top of the table had more parity with, I think, Inter were leading the table on 53 points, Napoli 52, Milan 52, Juve 45, Atalanta 44, Lazio 39 at this point last season. This season, Napoli are obviously running away with the title, which is still something we don't know how to deal with for Napoli fans. Uh, it's a very unusual feeling for us. And then there are five or six teams, to your point, if Juve gets those 15 points back because they're appealing that decision, they're actually second place, and that makes it even more difficult for Lazio to get into that top four. And the reason I say it's frustrating is because consistency has been an issue, like it has for Inter and Milan. Those fans are probably frustrated as well. If you look at the teams that, Lazio have dropped points to, I mean, a draw to Sampdoria, lost to Salernitana, lost to Lecce, draw to Empoli, draw to Hellas Verona. Even if we don't include Empoli because they're sort of middle of the table, that's 10 points dropped to teams that are currently in the bottom six. Again, there's probably no obvious answer to this question, but have you been able to put your finger on why you know, Lazio seemed to perform really well against the top clubs, but then sometimes also falter against the bottom clubs? I mean, the thing that it always comes back to is the mentality of the squad. It was something that was talked about an awful lot under Inzaghi. And I think the Inter fans are now coming to terms with as well because they're finding the same issue recently of Inzaghi struggling to get his team focused on, on, yeah, like you say, the smaller games coming directly after the big ones. I think the reason Lazio are capable of getting results in these big games is because fundamentally at their strongest, this is a really good team. And when they're playing at their best, and especially when they've had decent preparation time under Sari, they can play some really good football. Sari is a really smart coach. He's had 18 months now at this club and there's a core of players there who have bought into his philosophy. It's incredible what he's done in transforming the defence, which used to be a real Achilles heel of this side and now it's its greatest strength this season all of a sudden. Um, so Lazio can beat almost anyone on their day because they've got a good enough team and manager to do that. The problem is that they don't have a big enough squad or a coach who is able to rotate effectively enough to get the best out of this squad. And so then, yeah, you do spill points along the way. I think it's a bit of a miracle that, you know, some of the results you reeled off there. I remember saying after the Lecce game, the first game back after the World Cup, last year lost in, in Lecce, I said, 
they have to be out of the top four race now. You know, you can't expect to qualify for the Champions League if you're going to drop as many points as Lazio already had at that stage against lower table teams. But they're still in there because everyone is so inconsistent this year. And so it's, it's giving you a chance as, as one of these teams in the chasing pack. By now, you, would, you normally have two or three clubs who are pulling away from the rest. But because everyone other than Napoli isn't very good this year, it's giving everyone a chance to be just slightly, uh, slightly better than the rest. And that's going to be enough. Whether being in Europe is a good thing or not for Lazio, I guess you could always ask that question. The, the Conference League is a competition, I think. They can win if they really set their minds to it, if you look at the pool of teams in there. But at the same time, I, I don't think they can win that competition and finish in the top four in Serie A. I just think we've got a big enough pool of evidence by now to see that these these inconsistencies are an issue. And Sari himself has complained about that, the depth of his squad, um, which was some, something we actually ironically thought had been really addressed last summer when a lot of new signings came in. So... To answer your question very long-windedly, there is no clear answer to that problem because it's been around for so long. Essentially, I think it just comes down to the players not being able to focus always properly on the smaller games and not quite having a deep enough squad to, to replace quality with quality when you need to rotate tired legs. Yeah, sorry. So I mentioned kicking off the Europa League earlier. It's really kicking off the Conference League after being dropped from the Europa League. It's funny on the mentality piece that's been Napoli fans' biggest criticism of Napoli sides in recent years. When you look at, you know, even under Spalletti last season, some of the, mm. the clubs that we dropped points to, you could argue is why we didn't win the Scudetto. Even a hard-nosed coach like Gattuso couldn't seem to improve the mentality and Sadi himself before that. So that's a familiar feeling for us. The biggest criticism we had, um, <laughs> which is also something that you mentioned of Sadi, was that he didn't rotate enough. You know, he had his preferred starting 11, and no matter if we were competing in multiple competitions or not, he stuck with that starting 11. And it made you wonder whether that just tired them out too much. And, and then as a result, you know, the result suffered. And then, of course, the one season that we really did compete, we, you know, ran into a Juve side that was just even better. Now, granted, Sadi didn't have much depth at Napoli back then. I mean, he even mentioned that the other day. He was interviewed after the win over Sampdoria, and he talked about how impressive this Napoli side are, and you know he's eager to see them from the pitch level, and he praised Juntoli and the club for what they've done in the summer. And then he said, you know, this side plays great football, as did mine, but perhaps this one has a deeper and more physical roster. So he still has that on his mind now. Last mm. We're fairly active this summer. They brought in two goalkeepers in Luis Maximiano and Ivan Providel from Granada and Spezia, respectively. Nicolo Casale and Matteo Cancellieri both joined from Hellas Verona, and they reunited with Mattia Zaccani, who was redeemed. Although I don't know if uh, Cancellieri was with Verona last season, but yes, he was. Yeah. Um, Marcos Antonio joined from Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Mario Gila from Real Madrid's Castilla. And then a couple of Bosman signings in Romagnoli and Matthias Vecino. And then this January as well, you got Luca Pellegrini, who returned from uh, Germany from Eintracht Frankfurt to play for Lazio as well, though he hasn't actually played a whole lot yet. <laughs> Maybe not no, at all. Yeah. You know, so when I look at the minutes played, at least, it seems like Sadi's getting 
decent usage out of these signings. Ironically, the three most expensive purchases, Maximiliano, Gila, and Cancellieri, have played the least, or three of the four most expensive. Does that concern you, or do you view those guys? Because they're all still fairly young as well, 21, 22, I think 24 years old. Do you view those as sort of longer-term investments? Well, two things happened here that needed to happen. One was that the average age of the squad was brought down quite significantly with that raft of signings. Lazio's team under Inzaghi, as Inter are now finding out again, was an aging squad. Inzaghi does like his tried and trusted experienced players and obviously the core of the team that, that he built kind of stuck around as well. So Lazio's squad, I think, was the second oldest in, in Italy last year. And by bringing in a lot of these younger guys, they've managed to yeah, reduce the age profile significantly, which needed to be done. They sorted out the goalkeeper position. What That was a big one because for years that was a problem. Nobody quite trusted Strakosha, despite the fans quite liking him. Pepe Reina was getting a lot of game time when he was about 75 years old. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think at the back, they've done really well because Provedel has been a revelation. He started the season supposed to be a number two. Maximiliano lasted six minutes on his debut before he got sent off for picking the ball up outside the box. Maybe you're allowed to do that in Portugal. I'm not sure. But he decided to do that. And we basically didn't see him again since for about five months or something. And now he's become the conference league keeper. But, yeah, good options in goal now. Provedel's been excellent. And with a bit of time, that Romagnoli-Casale partnership has been superb, really, really good. And as a result, Lazio have got this incredible defensive record. They're chasing the, the club record for clean sheets in a season. I think I saw after the Samp game that now Barcelona are the only team in, in Europe's top five leagues who have more clean sheets than Lazio this season. That's good anyway for a Lazio team. But for a Lazio team that was just the complete opposite under Inzaghi, it's a, it's a huge transformation. So that's been really good. I think the problem is that it's when you get further up the pitch because you, the problem in the past was that the over-reliance on your star star men, Milinkovic Savic, Ciro Immobile, Luis Alberto. By bringing in Vecino, he's kind of guy who can rotate in those positions, which he did effectively the first half of the season since the World Cup. He's just not been on it at all. Neither is Milinkovic Savic for that matter. Marcos Antonio is a big one, though. I mean, he was touted as being the likeliest to, to actually get a starting place of those kind of guys coming into midfield attacking positions. And he's barely had a kick, very few opportunities. So he's not had much of an impact. Cancellieri's started the season getting some chances, but since has barely been seen. So Sari has kind of gone back now. After the first half of the season where he was rotating quite a lot, like you were saying, first half of the season, he was giving minutes to, to a lot of players. He was dipping into his squad more often. Since the World Cup break, second half of the season, he's just stopped doing it as much. He is very much intent on playing as what he sees as being his strongest team now. And the only changes we really see if everyone's fit would be, you know, two out of the three wing backs will play, Husay, Marisic and Lazzari. He might interchange you know, two out of the three wingers, Zakanyi, Pedro and Felipe Anderson. And then occasionally he'll give Vecino a game. And that, that's been about it. Obviously with injuries recently, there have been a, a few more changes, but it's kind of come to a point now where those signings have settled in. Sari has kind of recognised where they're at. 
what their respective abilities are, how they've adapted or failed to, and he's kind of made his decisions at this point. So, yeah, like you say, the the squad has had a fair distribution of minutes over the course of the season, but actually by this point, Sani's kind of stopped doing that unless he, you know, if he can avoid it. It also seems like, particularly with new players, he, he waits quite a while before he puts them onto the pitch, almost like he has to be fully confident that they understand his system. Like, Kazala didn't play much yeah. early in the season, and now we're seeing it with Luca Pellegrini as well, where I don't know if guys have to prove to him that they're ready to to get onto the pitch. So those are some of the new guys. I want to get your thoughts also on some of the key players that have been around for a while. And of course, that's Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, Luis Alberto, and Chiro Immobile. You touched a little bit on Milinkovic-Savic, so let's start with the two midfielders. You know, we talked about the lack of consistency earlier in the pod. Would it be fair to say that neither Alberto or Milinkovic-Savic have been at least as consistent this season as they have in previous seasons? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a bit of an odd season for both of them because previously the midfield was something that would never be touched. When Lucas Leva was at the club, it was him anchoring the midfield and those two pushing forward and being destructive in an attacking sense, in a creative sense. But Sari started the season essentially coming to the conclusion that they couldn't find a balance together in a 4-3-3, and that it was incompatible to have Alberto and Milinkovic in the same team. So actually, towards the start of the season, Vecino was getting a lot of time in, on the pitch in Alberto's place. Milinkovic Savage started the season really well, but I just don't know what it was, but since he's... Since he was away at the World Cup, he's just not come back the same player. People always try and flag up rumours about his future. Personally, I think that's complete bollocks because we've been hearing rumours about his future for eight years now. It's nothing new. (laughs) He will not be affected by that because otherwise he would have spent the last eight years just being consistently affected by it. But uh, yeah, kind of since the turn of the year, the Sadi's gone back to having both of them in the same team again. And I think he's hoping Milinkovic Savic can kind of play himself back into form, but it's just not really been happening for him. The Samp game, he got a lot of criticism. Apparently, there are even some whistles from the home fans for him, which, to be honest, is a bit much considering everything he's done. But Luis Alberto was the guy, yeah, who dug Lazio out of a hole there. He's had some really good games, actually, since New Year, Alberto. He's hot and cold. He always has been. But when he's on it, he's brilliant. And the goal he scored against Sam shows the quality he's got. And it was such a different level of quality from the rest of that match. It was an absolutely dreadful game. And uh, out of nowhere, you know, that goal had no right to be in that game because it, it seemed to be from a different dimension. So I think you'll see that on Friday. I think you'll still see that same midfield, Cataldi, Milinkovic and Alberto. I think it's it's nailed on every time now. But, you know, it's more feels like we're kind of crossing fingers before matches, hoping that it's one of those nights where everything clicks. And to be honest, it's been few and far between since New Year that the amount of games where it has clicked and both of them have been on form at the same time. So... It's amazing, really, the the level of performance those two guys have been hitting for as long as they have. 
and Milinkovic Savic has been extraordinarily good for such a long time that a dip in form at some point is fine and it's understandable. So yeah, I think that they just hope he'll be able to up it for a big game and that tends to be where he shines. He is a big game player. He's had some of his biggest performances, his most important goals in big games for Lazio. So that's one reason to be relatively optimistic that he might actually get back to a bit of form on, on Friday night. Yeah, that's just it, right? Like these two players in particular, when they're on, there's probably no better midfielders in the entire league, right? It's just how often they're on that starts to become a concern. And yeah, they do tend to be, particularly Alberto, I think he tends to be a bit more streaky. You know, if you catch him when he's showed up uh, late for training or something, that could <laughs> that could mean a couple of uh, poor matches or he might get benched or, or whatnot. But to your point, like the goal he scored against Sampdoria, they're capable of winning matches on their own, right? And statistically, I know you mentioned sort of the distribution where Milinkovic-Savic was contributing more in the first half of the season, but they both have decent stats. Um, Milinkovic-Savic, six goals, eight assists. Alberto, six goals, four assists, I think, in all competitions. You're right. They're both kind of perpetually rumored to be leaving, <laughs> and they never they never do. If I had to guess, I'd say perhaps Milinkovic-Savic is the more likely just because he's still 28 mm-hmm. He only has one year left on his contract. So unless Lazio can extend them, which is perfectly possible, then, you know, he may be someone that they want to consider selling, otherwise risk losing him on a Bosman. Luis Alberto, he's 30 now. He's still got a couple years left on his contract. So, uh, you know, we'll wait and see. But to your point, they always seem to be rumored to leave and, and they end up sticking around. Let's talk about Chiro Immobile a little bit. I mean... He's the definition of consistency, not just for Lazio, but uh, for Serie A as a whole. He's won the Capo Cannoniere, what, three out of the last five seasons? I guess he shared one. In his time at Lazio alone, he scored something like 190, 191 goals. He's closing in on Roberto Baggio, which is just insane to even fathom. You know, especially when you consider that, with all due respect to Lazio, it's not, you know, a big three club. Um, and he's he's right up there. He actually, while I was looking at the numbers, when all is said and done, because I think he has three years left on his contract, we'll see how his body holds up. But I think he's only about 35, 34 goals away from Gunnar Nordahl, which is third on the list. Uh, there's a few people ahead of him that he could very easily catch. I mentioned Baggio, he's on 208. Di Natale, 209. Giuseppe Meazza and Jose Altafini on 216. And then Nordahl on 225. So, it's possible that he could actually, when all is said and done, be the third highest goal scorer in Serie A history, which is just insane to me. But again, that will largely depend on whether he can stay healthy, which has been a little bit of an issue this season. I think he's missed about six or seven matches due to a hamstring issue. He's looked a little bit rusty since returning from the injury, though he did score against Cluj, and then he scored against Salernitana. I think he scored a brace in that match. Obviously, Lazio are better with Immobile in the squad than without him. But Alistair, I think a positive, I guess, from Immobile's absence, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that Lazio still got pretty good results while he was not in the squad. They did, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that the consistency thing is is incredible, not just in the goal scoring, but in the way that Lazio have been able to rely on him the last few years, because it's incredible how bulletproof he's been physically. Um, he's hardly missed anything. I mean, I remember the earlier this season, I mean, at, at the turn, turn of the year, I think it was Gazetta, you know, being Gazetta, 
had this headline saying something like crisis for Immobile. He's not scored since October. And it's like, he's played twice since October. <laughs> I don't know if they didn't realize he'd, he'd have been injured or if they're just trying to invent a story, but um, he's always been there. You know, he's always been able to play until this season, a little bit of problems last season as well, but that in itself is incredible. He's had to work himself back into fitness now. He's not really been in great form, to be honest, since he came back. He had this little burst where he scored a fantastic goal in the Conference League to beat Cluj, and then he scored twice against Salernitana. But other than that, there's not been much. He missed a couple of big chances against Sam on Sunday as well. So, yeah, he's he's always going to be there. And look, the, the amazing thing about Chio, I always say this to people, all his doubters had to defend him time and time again, but... The incredible thing about Chiro isn't that he's this incredible finisher. I mean, that might sound a bit odd to say given the number of goals he scored. But for me, his superpower has always been his ability to find chances. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, okay, Sampdoria game, he misses two absolute sitters. But I'm actually almost encouraged because he's found those chances and he's ended up in the positions to be able to put himself in a position to score. And he might need, you know, two or three chances in a game before he scores, but he'll always find another chance. His movement is brilliant. Um, he manipulates space so well. For a guy that everyone knows about, everyone in Serie A isn't aware of the danger or the threat of Chiro Immobile, and yet he still finds himself free in positions all the time. But yeah, to your point about the plan B, that was really more accident than design. The last you landed on this idea of playing Felipe Anderson as a false nine. The start of the season, Cancellieri was being, the club were trying to present him to the fans as the Vice Mobile, which is something that the fans have been wanting for years. It's crazy that there's never really been an alternative natural number nine striker in the squad. Vera Marici was brought in at great expense, but he's a target man. Obviously, the signing that didn't work out, I'm, I'm not going to be too hard on Marici because I think he was... He was sold down the river, to be honest. The, the team was never built for a player with his attributes. And you see him go to another club that is in Mallorca. You see him play for the national team in Kosovo. And he does brilliantly because they actually play to his strengths. Anyway, that's a whole other tangent I won't go to. But um, with Anderson, it's a different kind of thing. I think it's it's brought in more comparisons to Sadi's Napoli and, and the transformation he had with Mertens because it's more about the way that that front three interweave, that the way they combine together, the way you have a, a natural winger playing through the middle makes you play a bit differently. You're not looking for direct balls so much. You're looking more to combine, to create, to manipulate space. And that was more the way that Lazio were playing. It didn't always work, but when it did, it looked fantastic, actually. So that's why I think a few people got quite excited about it. But fundamentally, it is ridiculous to go into a season with a coach who plays 4-3-3 with only one striker in your squad. Filippi Anderson isn't a striker. Matteo Cancellieri isn't a striker. And there is literally no one else in the squad who can even play there. <laughs> so it, it's a crazy position to be in, but it tells you a lot about the faith, blind faith perhaps, that they have in Chiro Immobile to never get injured and to never drop form. I won't go down the uh, the elitare rabbit hole because then 
this podcast might go on for a couple more hours, but uh, you know, on the go there, there with the Marici thing, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's actually it's funny because I'm I'm good friends with uh, Jerry Mancini, who you know is a, a big Laziale, and uh, mm. I send them a text message every time um, Marici scores a goal for Mallorca, <laughs> just to poke the bear because Jerry always had his fun with him. But on uh, on Immobile, you know, even though he's a completely different type of striker than Osiman. They do have a couple things in common. One is what you mentioned that they they seemingly create chances out of nothing, or or they just their movement. You know, chances are created because of their movement that maybe other players wouldn't have made those runs. I mean, obviously Osiman, it's more his pace. One thing I've always admired about Immobile, and it's the most common, I guess, defense of Immobile when he's criticized for his struggles. Let's call it with the national team is that he has a, a really good work rate, right? Like he's, whether he's scoring or not, the guy just keeps running and pressing. And and to your point, even just like how Murici didn't work out with Lazio, I mean, he is the type of player, he's a system player. He needs the right players around him to succeed. And perhaps that's why he's also stayed at Lazio for so long, because he found that with, uh, you know, those midfielders and, and the wingers that he's played with. Uh, it's also interesting. Another sort of tangent is Lazzari playing as a, a fullback, because you know he was a winger that that supported Immobile on on that right side in previous seasons. But yeah, I mean, if we include the matches where he was back in the squad after an injury, but maybe was on the bench or only played a few minutes, Lazio won four, drew one, and lost two. Five wins if you include the win over Bologna in the Coppa Italia. And, you look at the opponents that Lazio beat, I mean, Atalanta, Roma, Milan, all big clubs. So those are still impressive results. The draw was against Fiorentina, and then the losses, other than, you know, the Slernitana one, fine. Everyone has a bad game every now and then, but the other one was to Juve. So I'd say Lazio fared quite well, at least statistically. I think Felipe Anderson and, and Matias Zaccani kind of stepped up uh, in terms of goal scoring while Immobile was out. I completely agree also that, I feel like because of that lack of a backup striker, Sadi's trying to use Felipe Anderson as Dries Mertens and that sort of false nine that he did at Napoli. So let's talk very quickly about who you think is going to play in this match. I think you've kind of touched on it already, but we know that Nicolo Cazale is out for suspension due to yellow card accumulation. There are a couple of players who have picked up Knox, but maybe you can provide an update on their statuses. Uh, you know, Romagnoli missed a couple of matches with thigh injury. Hisai picked up some sort of ankle knock or knee knock against Sampdoria, I believe. And Pedro broke his hand, though from what I read, he still wants to play. Pedro's been breaking everything. He's <laughs> smashed his nose in two pieces and then yeah. uh, in one game, and then the next game he broke his hand. But yeah, he's still going. <laughs> um, made of iron, that man. Yeah, I mean, I think that you've you've pretty much summed it up there. The main selection questions will really be around the defence. What Sarri's liked doing more in games where he's being more conservative is to drop Lazzari and um, put Marisic on the right and Hisai on the left. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does that as long as Hisai's ready. The question of who partners Romagnoli is quite an interesting one because you would expect it to be Patrick normally. Cazale's a big loss, by the way. He's been fantastic this season for Lazio. Big part of that defensive record I was talking about. Romagnoli's only just coming back from injury as well. So as long as he's fit, which sounds like he should be, 
it's then a question of who plays with him. Patrick would normally be the number one choice, but to be honest, Patrick recently has been looking a bit more like old banter era Patrick rather than last season defender of the year Patrick. And the reason is interesting is that Mario Gila has barely played really, but actually recently he's had a couple of games in the conference league and looked looked really good. So very different type of player. Patrick's a diminutive, small, quite technically proficient centre-back, whereas Gila's your big physical man. So it depends how they want to try and shut down Napoli, which they won't. But that's going to be the main cause of uh, selection discussion, I reckon. The midfield, I've already said, will be pick itself. And so will the forward line, to be honest, because now that Sakanyi's back, I think Pedro will drop to the bench, hopefully not break anything while he's on the bench. And yeah, I think that's going to be your team. This Lazio team isn't difficult to predict. You know, I don't think opposition coaches are having to come up with too many different possibilities in the analysis room before matches. I think that they're pretty aware of of who's going to play. They're probably pretty aware of which substitutions are going to be made when as well, because that's been quite predictable recently too. So yeah, they'll say, I mean, (laughs) you can probably hear my voice is quite flat as I reel off that team to you. I just (laughs) don't have the feeling that that's a team that's going to go and uh, end this awful, awful run in Naples. This fixture has not been a happy hunting ground for Lazio for a long time. And this fixture in Naples has been particularly brutal. Some very, very big spankings in recent years. And this could be another one. The only question mark for me, I guess, besides the center back situation is if Hisai really isn't fit to play, then I guess you move Marusic to the left and play uh, Lazzari on the right. And then to your point, the front six is pretty much already set in stone. Milinkovic, Savic, Cataldi, Luis Alberto, and then the front three, Zakani, Mobile, Felipe Anderson. Napoli squad is pretty predictable as well. And you touched on that on your last episode as well, that Spalletti. Do you mind if I, if I fire a question at you? Quickly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, well, hopefully if if, if um, any of your listeners are interested in hearing the last year perspective, like you say, we've already previewed this game a bit very pessimistically. <laughs> uh, I think the most pessimistic preview we've ever done. But one of the things when we were discussing how, how you go about this, my theory was that I think having watched the Sassuolo game, which, okay, was a routine 2-0 win, but it was quite an interesting match because I thought Sassuolo actually were a bit unlucky not to get a goal in that game. To They could have easily been in that game for a lot longer than they were. And Napoli had two absolute worldy individual goals from their two freak forwards to, to win that game. But my theory is more that the best way to go at Napoli is to really attack them, you know, to be aggressive, to be on the front foot and to try and go about it that way rather than worrying about the, the threats that they solve. Turn it into a turn it into a game of who who can score the most goals. It's going to be, you know, go about it that way. Does that make sense to you as a Napoli fan? That's one approach to try to win a shootout. It's still a very difficult approach just because of all the firepower that Napoli have. But they're going to score anyway is my point. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, most, most clubs, I mean, the one team that maybe, or at least we thought was maybe, telling everyone how to beat Napoli was Inted and they played in a low block pretty much or they they sat back pretty deep and and tried to to beat Napoli on the counter attack 
you can do that if you have those weapons. Lazio do. But for the most part, to be honest, teams that have tried taking that aggressive approach with Napoli have been beaten even further <laughs> because, you know, and, and we've seen it if you look specifically at the Champions League where clubs are are more inclined to play their style rather than to adapt to their opponent because they have that confidence in themselves. You think of Liverpool and Ajax, even Eintracht Frankfurt, they press high and that plays into Napoli's strengths because Napoli moved the ball so quickly and there's such good chemistry now between that best 11 and particularly that midfield of Lobotka and, and Gisa and Zielinski that more often than not, Napoli are going to pass through the press and then they have space to play Osimen and Cavada into, so that creates a big problem. But what those aggressive opponents have showed is that Napoli can be exposed defensively. As good as Kim has been, and Rachmani for that matter, Di Lorenzo, if you get the ball in space against Napoli, then there are going to be chances to be had. So that is certainly one approach and just you know try to win the shootout. It's You're kind of picking your poison, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, in terms of Spalletti's squad, because Napoli's only playing once a week, he hasn't been rotating lately. I thought he would at least a little bit, even if it was just to keep players in form so that when the schedule does pick up again with the Champions League, then those guys are are ready to go. It seems like his approach, and it's hard to criticize it really, has been, okay, let me create as big of a lead as I can in Serie A, and then maybe when the schedule gets busier later, then he'll start rotating because Serie has pretty much locked up already. So I think the only change we should expect to see, or we will see because Mario Rui is suspended, he actually got two matches and a 10,000 euro fine for, um, <laughs> I thought the the sports judge put it nicely for, uh, it was a, a kick to the groin area is what they called it. <laughs> <laughs> from Jessica Caputo. So, so we'll see Matthias Oliveira left back, but I'm not expecting anything else. I'll save you the uh, the despair, I guess, of, of having to make a match prediction, but I will just touch quickly on sort of the history of, of this fixture because as you alluded to today and, and on your episode, it's been a pretty rough go for Lazio for a little while. Napoli have won 11 of the last 13 matches between these two sides. Lazio won the other two, but they were both in Rome. The last time Lazio won at the Maradona or the San Paolo at the time was the final round of the 2014-15 season. Lazio won that match 4-2, which was actually a terrible result for us because we needed yeah. to win the match to qualify for the Champions League. Actually, I think yeah. if I recall correctly, even a draw might have sufficed. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have a terrible memory. So I went back and watched the highlights, which I shouldn't have actually in retrospect because... It reminded me of how terrible that match was for us. But it was it was a wild match. I mean, it was back and forth. Lazio went ahead 2-0. Goals from Marco Parolo and Antonio Candreva, a couple of, uh, I don't know if you would call them Lazio legends, but certainly people that, you know, Lazio fans probably <laughs> have fond, some of fond memories of. Candreva, for sure. Maybe not so much Parolo. Iguain pulled one back early in the second half. Mertens almost equalized, and Stefan De Vrij cleared the ball off the line. And then Parolo got a second yellow card. Iguain equalized moments later. And then shortly after that, Fauzi Gulam got a second yellow card. So we finished the match 10v10. I thought it was a little bit of a soft second yellow. But then I also thought perhaps there was a bit of a makeup call because we were given a penalty kick for a foul by Senad Lulic on Christian Maju in the area. And I'm intentionally name- reeling off all of these names just to bring everyone back <laughs> to memory lane a little bit or down yeah. memory lane a little bit. 
So Iguain could have completed the tripleta with a penalty kick, but he skided over the bar. And then sure enough, Lazio scored two late goals, both from substitutes. Ogeni Onazi scored in the 85th minute. And then a guy I would call a Lazio legend, Miroslav Kloza, put the match away in the 90th minute. So Napoli finished fifth and missed the Champions League that season. Lazio finished a very respectable third place and, of course, played in the Champions League. Well, that was what you needed for the Champions League in those days. And it wasn't (laughs) a group stage place. It was a playoff place. And then we lost to Leverkusen in the playoffs. So, Yeah, yeah. there you go. So it wasn't even uh, directly into the competition. But uh, perhaps that's what's uh, been motivating Napoli all these seasons. Although I feel like between you and Vittorio, you guys are so down on Lazio. For the- <laughs> you might single-handedly lift them up with the, <laughs> with the reverse, uh, the reverse jinx there. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll see how. Usually, that balance each other out a bit better. One of us is more <laughs> optimistic than the other one. But this this week, I've never seen anything like it. It was quite a <laughs> unanimous despair recently after the recent matches. Yeah, so I think we're looking to just get this one done and then we can start focusing on the rest of the season. So, But look, massive congratulations. I think Napoli have been fantastic this year. I've really, really enjoyed watching them from a just general Serie A perspective. It's been a real joy to see a team kind of playing that style of football so effectively. And I think it's great for the league to see entertaining attacking football also being a, a style of football that is capable of being the most consistent and successful in the league. So I think they will be worthy winners. And I'm sorry, I know you won't want me to say it, but that is the way things are going to go. And uh, I'm hoping to get down to Naples when it happens and, and check out what's going on, because I'm sure yeah, it'll be should, a party to remember. <laughs> you're, you're close enough, so you should definitely get there. It's like a 10-hour flight for me in, in, in <laughs> yeah, a three-week vacation or something. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it, it certainly feels like um, the neutrals or, or Napoli's kind of representing everyone else besides the top three. And and it is nice to see, uh, you know, different winners. We've had three different Scudetto winners over the last three seasons. This would be a fourth. And to be perfectly honest, as, as superstitious as Napoli fans are, I think even we can't deny it at this point. It just... 18 point gap to, to second yeah. place. It would truly take a historic meltdown uh, to blow that. So, yeah, we're even using the S word, the dreaded S word <laughs> now. Um, so, yeah, I think it's only a matter of time. And hopefully, then Spalletti can rotate and, and also try to make a deep run in the Champions League because that would be great for Italian football as well. Yeah, no reason and, why not. Yeah, so that is all we have time for today. Alistair, good luck on Friday and thanks so much for joining me. Cheers. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So you can find Alistair on Twitter at AKS McKenzie, and you can find the Lazio Lounge podcast at Lazio underscore lounge. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortunapoli Pod. I will be back in a few days to review this match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortunapoli Center. Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.